Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoy it. But first, I want to ask you a question. Are you someone who has high upside potential in your business and yet sometimes that goal is just hard to get to and maybe the only way you've seen to get to it is just to make more calls, you know, work harder? Well, if you're fed up with using old strategies to solve new problems, then I might have a solution. It's my five-day million-dollar seller challenge. We meet one hour a day in a coaching intensive where I will teach you five moves that you can make to scale your results without working harder. To learn more, click the link in the show notes or go to milliondollarsellerchallenge.com. Can you be better at almost everything? Well, today my guest on the podcast is Pat Flynn. He runs a company called Chronicles of Strength, and he's got a new book out by that title, How to Be Better at Almost Everything. And I interview Pat and ask him questions about focus, being in shape, and how to be better at almost everything. Are you ready? Then brace yourself. Let's go. It's time for the Bill Kasky Podcast, a weekly show carefully crafted to help you grow your skills and your results in business. Now, here's your host, Bill Kasky. I'm speaking with a special guest today, someone who I've followed for several years. His name is Pat Flynn, and there are a couple of Pat Flynn, Flynn's out there in the internet world and the world in general. I'm sure there's more than a couple, but Pat runs a, a company called a site called chroniclesofstrength.com. I first came across Pat. I was on his newsletter list, and I have become an avid uh, kettlebell swinger, and he is kind of, to me, my virtual coach of kettlebells, and I've signed up for several classes that he's done. So I want to talk today to Pat Flynn. Pat, welcome to the show. Bill, thanks for having me on. And real quick, funny story about the whole Pat Flynn thing. So obviously there's, and I, as I said before, I'll gladly concede that I'm probably the second most famous Pat Flynn on the internet. There's obviously smart passive income Pat Flynn, but then there's another one. There's the third Pat Flynn who's who's a classical guitarist. And this is also somewhat problematic because I'm a guitarist You as are well. too, yeah. So, <laughs> so it's it's all very confusing. <laughs> but but maybe we can sift through some, some of the noise. I am, I am not, I'm neither of those two Pat Flynn. I'm, I'm probably most well associated with the fitness and kettlebell pathway. Yeah, well, that's good. That's fun. I didn't know there was a third, but uh, mm-hmm. that makes for an interesting, that's, that's a great way to start these interviews for you. It's mean, an awesome <laughs> thing. Thankfully, you are not the only path. Think about how boring life would be if you were the only one. Yeah, it's unfortunate because when you want to, you know, have a domain that's your your own name, Pat Flynn is a well, fairly that's true. common. So, you know, we do yeah. what we can. Okay, so uh, I came across you. I got your newsletter. I've always enjoyed your writing style. Then I, I even, I think I might have emailed you once and said, do you write your own stuff or do you have somebody else? And this is before I knew you were a, a writer and an author and all that. But you came back saying, no, I write my own stuff. Well, I think you probably had some smart comment, which I deserve. But, um, <laughs> but I've always enjoyed your writing of your newsletter. Your newsletter has been about fitness and strength, although it's, it's morphed a little bit, I've noticed, over the last year. But tell me, how did you get your writing chops? Because it, it's really good. Well, so in the same way, I kind of got my music chops. I was always very, I was one of those artsy people, Bill, you see. Um, when I was when I was younger, I was uh, I was not athletic. I was not fit at all. So I was I was very much into into music and writing. And the book that that first like really grabbed me and, and caused me to appreciate beautiful writing was probably around the second grade. I remember it um, very vividly. Was uh, Charlotte's Web by E. B. White. 
And I, I loved that book so much. And I carried it with me everywhere that my second grade teacher upon, upon graduation to the third grade just bought me my own copy of it because I would just, I was so obsessed with it. You know, I, I sort of just fell in love and I never thought at the time that I would, I would be a writer. I always thought maybe more I would be a musician, but I had just as much a love and interest for writing. I didn't comprehend at the, at the time that writing was an immensely more valuable skill than being able to <laughs> So I'm glad, I'm glad I took such an early interest in it. You know, so so always was was writing and, and writing sort of short stories and, uh, and and some you know kind of you know just just as a as a serious hobbyist I guess I guess you would say and it's funny because even though E. B. White from kind of his children's books got me into into writing I rediscovered him in high school and and I'm not sure how many people realize this I didn't at the time but he has stuff for adults also yeah <laughs> as it happens and it's it's some of the best writing he's just one of the, the the most incredible prose stylists I mean I would just recommend that anybody grab his collection of essays essays by E.B. White because here's a guy who, who the matter doesn't matter. He could be talking about chicken coops, but the manner in right. which he writes is right. so beautiful and so enticing that you just can get lost in it for hours. So I've, I've always had a, a deep admiration for people of, of supreme writing talent. And I don't think that that's, that's who or what I am, but I've, I've certainly tried to emulate a lot of these great writers. So that, that would be kind of the beginning of it. Well, it, it seems to me, and I know you talk about this in your book, which we're going to get to in a, in a gif, talk about skills and these universal skills. And, and to me, you know, we live in a world where, where communication is so important and yet we've really never been trained on exactly how to communicate, especially in writing, unless you're a copywriter. But most people leave college, I being one, until I really was forced, my hand was forced to write and said, I don't ever want to read a book on writing, on grammar. I'm tired. I just, I don't, the essay, the blue essay book, I just gave me the heebie-jeebies. But yet we live in a world where writing of email, digital writing, website, copy, copy of any time is vital to pierce through all the crap and clutter that's out there. And, and so it's, it's one of those skills that, you know, people don't wake up when they're 50 years old and say, you know what, I got to be a better writer, but we do need to be better writers. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I, I'm not even entirely sure that college is the place to go for that. Um, you know, I took the business writing courses in college and if anything, they, they, oh, they, they effectively work to kill myself. Yeah, that's right. And, and then you have to sort of unlearn all that, that sort of that writing was such technical and dull vocabulary. Now there was one creative writing course I took and there was one professor I really liked and he, he really pushed me. He's like, you, got to become a writing major. I'm like, I can't stand these courses. They're, they're, they're <laughs> terrible. They're terrible. <laughs> but, but his, his class was, was good. And that was the, the creative writing one. And, and I definitely got some value out of that, but, but I'm with you. I mean, communication, writing, these are fundamental skills. There are some nuts and bolts that you need to learn, but you can, you can learn those on your own. Yeah. Pick up, pick up elements of style, pick up on writing. Well, there's a lot of really good accessible popular level books that if you just spend a good amount of time with those practicing those principles, you'll get the nuts and bolts down. Yeah. And you'll learn it from people like E.B. White or like William Zinser, who who both are 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 you know practiced and effective communicators in a way that I think if you try to emulate people people like them rather yeah. than your typical college business professor writer, you'll probably have a lot more success, anyways. We, we can talk about uh, writing a little bit later, but let's get into fitness. Uh, I want to talk about a couple areas. Number one, fitness and strength, and how it relates to confidence. And then number two, I want to get into your book 
uh, which is how to be better at almost everything. So let's talk about fitness because that that is kind of your calling card or was. Uh, tell me, you can give me a little a little background on how you got into it. You said you weren't an athlete, but looking at you now, obviously you're extremely fit and you've gotten into kettlebells. But I want I want to get into not just the regimen. It's more the what's the output of that? What's the confidence level? Why is fitness and and tapping into that personal energy so important in today's world? But first, start with give me thirty seconds to a minute on kind of how you got into fitness as a, not a hobby, I guess, but more of a a real intentional hobby. It was a later in life skill for me. Like I said, I did not grow up uh, any sort of serious athlete. Usually if I joined a sports team was because my friends were doing it and then I would either sit on the bench or quit. So I did not have that background, but I I grew up pretty overweight. You know, my, if I was an expert in anything physical at the time, it would have been in sitting and resting. I was pretty good at those two things. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes I would be sitting and resting, playing guitar or writing. So it wasn't all all entirely unproductive, but it wasn't very physically demanding. So I got, I got sick and tired of that, obviously, for various reasons. Didn't want to go into the weight room right away because all my friends would be like, you know, did you take a wrong turn trying to get to the custard stand or what's going on here? I found martial arts and I walked into a Taekwondo studio and that was that fundamentally transformed everything about me and at least in a physical sense, but in a lot of, uh, in a ton of my habits and, and mental states and mindset also. And so I got very serious with, with, Taekwondo uh, in high school and through college. Taekwondo caused me to start investigate physical culture, you know, at large, uh, weight training. And then that, of course, brought me, it was my my second Taekwondo coach who introduced me to kettlebells, okay. fell in love with them for their effectiveness and, and efficiency. So it was actually through martial arts that I that I got into strength training and then and and, and kettlebells itself. And yeah, I've just been been doing it ever since. So that's the that's the brief history. But I, I think you had another question attached to that that has now escaped me. Well, the question was: is is the confidence that comes with being fit? And I I don't. You're, you're the researcher and you're the expert here. But I always feel like on days where I work out and I'm uh, and I've I'm go through a phase of being really fit, eating properly, doing the right uh, training, I feel more confident. And I, I don't know whether that's a placebo thing or whether I'm talking myself into it or whether that's really true. But we were, you know, my world is training and coaching sales professionals, business mm-hmm. leaders, CEOs. And I always feel like if you're out of shape, I question whether you have the confidence and the clarity needed to operate efficiently and effectively and, and perform at a, at a good level in your world. But I, I don't have any research or data. Do you? Yeah. Well, there's, I think there's a couple ways that we can answer that. I mean, I mean no doubt somebody could be an expert in one area and, a, and, com, and completely sloth in another area. Those, those people exist. But I think there's something to be said for those generalists, which I talk a lot about in my book, who can really apply and adhere to a process in many areas of their life. And, and, Certainly, certainly when it comes to, you know, keeping yourself fit and active, there are going to be many productivity benefits to fall out of that. You will have increased energy. You will have better focus. You will have better sleep. Um, I've experienced that myself. I mean, one of the best ways for me to just overcome writer's block, which even people who write every day often struggle with, is just to go and, and, hit the gym, take my, mm-hmm. take my regular daily exercise. Even just a brisk walk is sometimes enough to get the, the so-called juices flowing. So as far as confidence goes, I mean, this was, this was hugely, hugely important in my life because I really didn't have any confidence before I started hitting mm-hmm. the gym. And what this taught me was that even though I've always felt like I was somewhat 
behind or lacking in the physical department. Because, you know, I come from a family that is is mostly overweight, doesn't take healthy living seriously. It, it taught me that if I applied a process and stuck to the process that that I could change, that that things didn't have to be genetically determined, because that's that's what I grew up with, Bill, was, you know, sort of my, the, the family attitude was, oh, well, you know, it, it just runs in the family, right? Like <laughs> overweight just runs. In, and, and that totally just broke that spell for me. It broke that myth. And then the confidence I got from seeing, because other things I was already good at, like music or writing, like I always felt like I was, I was already good at them. Like at the, like, oh, I have an, I sort of have a natural um, inclination to be good at these things. But I did not have that for anything related to physical exertion at all. So to, to see that I could enter into something where I was really an abject failure my entire life and just grind through a process and realize an outcome, a, a rather dramatic outcome and change. I mean, that just, that totally altered my mindset, uh, Bill, in so many ways that, that that itself, I think I can strongly say is what gave me the confidence to believe that I could do more things, that I, that I could, for example, start a business, that I could, for example, actually mm-hmm. get books published. So from the confidence perspective, I, yeah, I would absolutely take that right back to this, this pretty uh, transformative experience in my yeah. life of, of going from that unhealthy, overweight kid to a more fit adult. So I'm going to uh, get into the book a little bit, How to Be Better at Almost Everything uh, by Pat Flynn. Once again, we're speaking with Pat Flynn. You can find out more about him at chroniclesofstrength.com. I'm going to go through here. I've got three or four statements or suggestions that you make throughout the book, and I'm going to give them to you, and then I'd like for you to riff on it for a, a minute or two. Meditate or pray 10 minutes a day. Yeah. So uh, let me back up just a second for people who are unfamiliar. The thesis of my book is that in today's economy, and for most people, most of the time, you're going to be better off getting good to great at a lot of different skills and then learning to combine or stack those skills to form competitive and creative advantages in life, rather than trying to be the best in the world at any one thing. How's that for a, a polished awesome. ele- elevator? Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I usually go back to the thesis, but I got so excited. No, but, no, it's, it's, but it's, no, it's, that's it's, really good. That's so really good. So I, I talk about certain certain meta skills in the book of skills that if you can develop these, think of them as basement level skills or foundational level skills that uh, no matter what you're doing, having these skills is only going to help no matter what you're doing. Focus is one of those skills. You know, focus isn't something that you can just practice in the abstract. You need to apply it to something. And it just so happens that meditating, prayer, there's other things we can use as well, but I find special utility there both in in a practical and spiritual sense in meditation and prayer. But they are... They are also very much focus builders. And a lot of skills Mm -hmm. do not take enormous amounts of time or energy every day to develop. You know, sometimes the the old phrase of little and often over the long haul, which I borrow from Dan John, is the best way to go about really building skill in some of these departments. So I think just first thing in the morning, uh, if you do nothing else, just set aside 10 minutes to really start to own this skill of being able to just be so single-mindedly focused on something at one period of a time at one period of time because I mean we live in an age of just incessant distraction where yeah. people cannot stay on task for more than five to ten minutes at a time without checking their phone or checking their email and this this interrupts flow it destroys productivity so there's there's a lot that I could say about you know meditation and prayer separately in and of themselves but as a way to develop focus I think it's one of the best entry points for that that's good and you say focus I wrote, wrote down here focus is 
curiously underdeveloped in most people. Cal Newport, I don't know if you've ever read anything by Cal Newport. He wrote a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. Newport is a uh, MIT prof, and he talks a lot about just deep work, deep focus, and about how if you, you can't focus on something for 15 minutes and then focus on something the next 15 minutes, it's got to be, there's got to be a depth to it so that you can allow all those distractions to move aside, move aside so you can really get the work done that needs to be done. And that's, you're right. It's just, it's, it's underdeveloped. Well, you know? and, I, and I'll agree with him. I mean, I know some people have this, this method or whatever of like 15 minutes on or 20 minutes off, but Bill, I'll be honest, like it, it takes me 15 to 20 minutes just to get warmed up for most things, yeah. Right? Yeah. let alone to, to really get into that state of deep focus. So here's a couple more things that I thought were really interesting. It's okay to be polarizing and this moves into the communication and persuasion end, but, but I think that's what our listeners would like to hear more about. It's okay to be polarizing. I always say that if you can be politely polarizing, it's better than aggressively polarizing. Boldness is a, is a lost attribute. Tell, mm-hmm. tell us what you, uh, what you were thinking there. Yeah, I think that there's this sort of, um, chalk it up to political correctness or, or what have you, but there's this sort of um, mentality people have where they're they're so afraid of issuing their opinion on anything for fear that it might upset somebody or offend somebody, and then they'll, they'll lose that person as an audience member. And from a business perspective, that's that's absolutely the wrong way to go about it. Now, some people swing the pendulum, I think, too far the other way, to your point, Bill, where they're intentionally offensive or, or polemic yeah. rather than polarizing. And I think that can be a mistake as well. I think the right thing is just be clear, as clear as possible on what your values are and what you stand on and be extremely bold and firm on that. And that will be inherently magnetic no matter what. You don't have to, you don't have to be rude about it. You don't have to be polemic about it. Just by simply stating what you stand for, it's going to attract very strongly some people and it's yeah. going to repel... Yeah very strongly other people. But if you try to please everybody all the time, what's going to happen is you're just going to be so incredibly boring that nobody is going to want to pay attention to you at all. So you're really, you're really just shooting yourself in the foot coming from, from that approach. So we can, we can certainly unpack that further, but that's the general thrust of the argument that I was trying to make is that being polarizing isn't necessarily about being intentionally rude or polemic. No, no. It's, a, it's, it's about being absolutely clear both to yourself and others what you stand for. Which brings me to the other part of that, and that is what you just said. And that, uh, you know, I, we train people. Uh, my, I have a coaching practice and, and we train organizations. And I'm always talking about this notion of sorting prospects from suspects. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if there's 100 people out in a market and you go out thinking that you're going to take all 100 of those and convince them that they need to do business with you, you're going to waste a lot of time with people who are never, ever, ever going to buy. They just aren't. Yep. So the sorting activity is really the master key to riches in sales is finding out early who's a prospect and who's not. Well, in order to do that, you have to be crystal clear about who are you looking for? What is the stand you take in the market? What do you really believe about a person's potential or about the problems that you solve? Our own clarity, I think, is so weak that when we go out, the message is, is, not, the message is not even strong enough for a person to either opt in or out because we're so vanilla about it. You know, even in my own business, from a fitness perspective, um, it's very clear that I am not the person that you're going to come to if you want to win a powerlifting competition because 
because I'm not trying to appeal to people who want to be the best in the world at any one thing. Now, at the same time, I don't have to, to, to totally shoot that down. I can no. just, I can just say, Hey, look, if that's what you want, that's fine. But, but Pat Flynn is the generalist. I'm, I'm the guy who will help you get good to great or at least fairly competent at a whole lot of different things and learn to combine them. And we don't have to worry about being the best in the world at any one thing. So, you know, we can, we can peacefully part ways, right? And you don't have to, to go away with a, an exceedingly foul taste of Pat Flynn <laughs> in your mouth because that, that, might, that might be somewhat unnecessary, at least on some level. Now, that being said, there's often the, uh, the old marketing adage, I forget who said it first, it's pretty classic in direct response marketing, that if, you know, if you're not offending at least one person a day, you're probably not really marketing. Right? Mm-hmm. But the thing I would caution people with that, and I really do, I really do mean this, is the goal isn't to in, to offend for the sake of offending. That's right. Like, I mean, look, you. I mean, people get offended nowadays if you just tell them that grass is green. I mean, it's a, it's not difficult to offend people. <laughs> The, no, the, the goal is just to be clear on on who you are, what you stand for, and what your unique value and selling proposition is. And once yes. you have that, it's going to, like I said, it's going to be inherently magnetic. It will strongly pull some people in and strongly push other people away. And that's a good thing because it's it's what you said, Bill. It's going to separate, you know, the, the suspects from the prospects. We're speaking today with Pat Flynn, special guest, chroniclesofstrength.com. As I said earlier, Pat came to me through... Uh, an uh, interest in fitness and kettlebells and strength. And I've, I've bought uh, his new book called How to Be Better at Almost Everything. Pat, as we close up today, I, I appreciate your time. Is there any kind of last second thing or last uh, tip that you might give us if we're, if we're looking at our lives and we say, you know what, there's several areas of my life that I really need to improve and want to grow in. What, what would be a couple of first steps as I start to recognize those things that I can do other than buy the book, which I think is a, a obvious just a conclusion, but what, what else should I be looking at? If I've identified a couple areas, I say, I, I want to get better at. I'll draw out one of the other principles in the book, which is the idea that a good generalist is really a short-term specialist. Don't, because you, you'll identify many areas in your life that you will want to improve, probably all at once, but it's often a mistake to try and improve all things simultaneously, at least in, in equal proportion. What you need to do, what you need to learn to accomplish is to be able to surge and maintain. You need to be able to surge in maybe one or two areas at a time, go all in, for however long you need to bring that area of your life up to just to, to concretize it, to make it a habit. While at, you know, allocating enough time, energy, and attention to the other things that are important. So at least you at least don't let them slide completely away or slide completely off. And then over time, you just learn to switch your focus because skills are often quite sticky. It takes a lot more upfront energy and attention to get good at something initially than it is to just maintain that skill yeah, yeah. over time. So that, that would be kind of my parting tip there is a good generalist really is a short-term specialist. I'm not against specialization. I just see it, see it as more of a tool or more of a means rather than an end. Get Pat's book, How to Be Better at Almost Everything. Pat Flynn, uh, it's been awesome having you on today, and I'd like to do this again. I'd like to come back maybe in a few months and talk about the skills stacking thing that you really speak about uh, heavily in the book, because I think it's got a lot, of, a lot of juice behind it. So, Pat, thanks for being on the show today. My pleasure, Bill. Would love to come back on. If you want more Caskey, go to BillCaskey.com and you can get on his list or set up a time to speak live. And make sure you share this episode with your tribe too.